Uh, good morning to you. We're glad you're here. School has started, right? And so the routine, routine is uh, down pat now. We're glad. We trust you uh, young people and kids have a great uh, school year. You teachers in the public system, I hope you, uh, you're using your influence there to make a difference. We still have some seats up front here toward the front. If you're looking down in here, there's a sprinkling elsewhere too. Keep looking around. Raise your hand. You've got seats uh, near you. All right, there we go. There are the hands. All right, thank you. All right, we're here to love the Lord together. We're right where we're meant to be through the generations. God has expected his people, called his people to be together. And certainly uh, from the New Testament age till now, the first day of the week has been a special day for God's people to celebrate the risen Christ. And that's what draws us together, the fact that he is risen from the grave and he, he reigns today. And I trust he is increasingly reigning in your life and mine as well. We're here to love him together. I want to remind you that our care groups begin this week. There's seven of them. Two are new. One begins today. They're on the back of your bulletin listed. Uh, one begins today as mindfulness. That has to do with chronic depression, anxiety, other kinds of issues you deal with on an emotional level. It starts today. It's a new group we have formed, and I know several are planning to attend that one, and there are many this week. Uh, tomorrow night is the first time for Celebrate Recovery, uh, meeting the choir room tomorrow night, and then others as the week unfolds. So these are great tools to use to reach to work associates, neighbors, friends uh, who are just struggling in different areas of life. We're, we all struggle at different times in different ways, and, uh, and perhaps you can use these. So keep these as a reminder. Put them on your refrigerator or a mirror in your car somewhere so you are, are ready to uh, use these to bless other people. I want to introduce you to some people. About three and a half years ago, Bart Beal uh, was about ready, ready to retire from Duke Energy, and uh, we asked him to come and use his gifts here as an executive administrator. So we asked for three years. It's been about three and a half years, and so his time's up. And Bart brought so much to us. He led well. He challenged us in many ways. He organized us in a, uh, organized us in a better way and with more efficiency and effectiveness that will uh, continue to stay with us. And we, we appreciate his role. He is now bringing that uh, ministry to a close with us. And I want to introduce to you uh, his successor, uh, who is Chuck Mustin, along with his wife, Kim. Would you all come up, please? Welcome, Chuck and Kim, please. Uh, uh, many of you don't know Chuck and Kim. Kim grew up in this congregation. Her parents are the Glessners. Uh, her, their daughter and son-in-law are uh, Kyle and Megan Westrick, and, uh, who serve with us. Uh, Chuck and Kim were with us for a number of years. When I first came here, uh, they were always right on the second row all the time, always great encouragers. Uh, Chuck was in the public sector, in the public school system, uh, in the Plainfield schools as coach and teacher, and then became administrative principal at Mooresville High School. Kim was teaching in the Mooresville district. So back in 05, uh, they came and told me, you know, uh, our life is that direction, so we're going to go to church at the church at Mount Gilead, a sister church, and I've hated them ever since. No, I fully understood exactly. They did exactly what they should do. As their influences in Mooresville, they should have been uh, worshiping in Mooresville. And about four and a half years ago, Chuck left his principalship 
Uh, it was a time when really Avon was seeking him, but he decided he wanted to do kingdom work on a full-time basis. And so he's been executive administrator at the church at Mount Gilead the last four and a half years, but now he's bringing his gifts to us. They wanted to come home and work among us. And so this week, uh, Chuck began his work. Welcome Chuck and Kim to our staff, please. Thank you. And then Luke and Rebecca. I want you to meet uh, Luke and Rebecca also. Uh, Luke, it's Luke and Rebecca Proctor, as if we need another Proctor around here, right? Uh, this is Mark's nephew, Luke, and his wife, uh, Rebecca. Rebecca hails from Fort Scott, Kansas, a preacher's kid. And Luke's uh, dad is Matt Proctor, who's preached for us before here and president of Ozark. Uh, Christian College, which has nothing to do with the fact that Luke was valedictorian uh, in May from his, in his graduating class. Uh, Luke is coming as minister in residence. It's a, a position we've never really had before. When we have interns, which is pretty continual, uh, they usually focus on particular areas of ministry. Uh, we have a new one. In fact, today, Wade is going to be working with adult ministry. Uh, Luke's is, uh, his his. His time here, his tenure is going to be for two years, and he's really going to be uh, learning all phases of ministry across the board. So you're going to see him in different scenarios. One of his gifts is preaching, and so we're certainly going to be using him in preaching as well. In fact, he'll be preaching next Sunday as well, so you'll get to hear his heart and know his gift as well. And they're going to be welcoming their little boy on November 9th into their family, and they're living in the Canby area, and it's going to be great to get to love them and to know them. Please welcome Luke and Rebecca. Bless you, brother. Okay. So uh, they're going to be hanging around a little bit. Uh, to, are you going to hang around afterwards or not? Okay, they'll be over, over in the hub if you'd like to uh, welcome them and greet them. Also, today's starting point, if you're new to us and uh, want to know us better, we hope you want to get to know us better. We'd love to get to know you better. There's a lunch right after this service, right in the hub, the next big room over. Stick around for lunch. Uh, we'll be done by 1.30 or shortly after that, and uh, you'll be on your way to, I hope, a closer relationship to our family of faith here. Let's pray as we go on today. Our Father in heaven, how we love you and want to learn to love you better and more deeply. You have inundated us with your blessing, and we are so thankful to be able to come into your presence because of the person of Jesus Christ and what he made possible. And Father, we so need you. And so I pray today we will be good hearers of your word and good doers of it as well. I pray, Father, that we will increase in our depth of love and our worship of you. We thank you for your presence among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 8. Please turn to Romans 8 this morning. This is a great chapter, and we uh, began it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Luke's going to be preaching on... Uh, and Romans 8.28 next week was one of a, a favorite verse of uh, many of us in our, our Christian life and growth. But today I'm going to point to a passage that, that in its essence is about prayer. Uh, there are a couple, there's a man and woman who went to a, a pet store. Uh, they met each other in the same aisle. They hadn't known each other. They each had pet parrots. Hers was a female parrot. It kept saying one thing over and over, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. His parrot was, was a male, and he kept saying over and over, let's kiss, let's kiss, let's kiss. Well, that man and, husband, man, that, that man and woman finally got married one day, and they put those parrots together, and that female parrot said, let's pray, let's pray. And the 
male parrot said, let's kiss, let's kiss. And that female parrot said, oh, blessed day, my prayers have been answered. <laughs> and when I heard that joke, I thought, aren't we like that? We're very consumerish in our prayer lives, aren't we? We, we want God to do for us. And I, I hate saying it that way because there are some people I've met in the course of ministry that hesitate praying about their own lives. They feel self-centered and selfish when they pray about anything that concerns themselves. They think they ought to only pray for other people. We are not taught that in the Scripture. We are taught to bring all of our requests before God, and we do that with thanksgiving, the Apostle Paul says, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself taught us to keep praying and not give up. He taught us about personal prayers that we bring, even in the model prayer. He teaches us about praying about our own lives. So there's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves. It becomes dangerous when we measure the value of a relationship with God by the way he answers or chooses not to answer or doesn't answer in the way we think he should the prayers we are offering to him. And if you waffle in your relationship with God based upon how he deals with your prayers, you probably are guilty of a consumer mentality in prayer. There's much we have to learn in prayer. We have learned, as we read last week in Romans, that there are a lot, there's a lot of groaning that's going on. Well, in the midst of a groaning world, the Holy Spirit of God has a special ministry to us. Let's start reading with chapter, uh, in chapter 8, verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But by the Spirit, you put to, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive, now notice this capital S, this is talking about the Holy Spirit of God. It's God in us. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. So when we sin, we are orphaned. We, people will speak of the fatherhood of God, and He is the Father of all mankind by virtue of the fact that He's the Creator and Sovereign God. But when we sin and rebel, we are cut off from Him, we are orphaned, and we are bought back because of the work of Jesus Christ. We are adopted back into His family. He says, uh, by Him, verse 15, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. That's little s spirit. That's the human spirit. Capital S spirit communicates with our spirit, human spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. I consider that our present sufferings, whatever they are, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. That's talking about the natural world. Was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected. So when man sinned, because of our sin, the earth was cursed. And all the, all the natural world suffers because, at the, because the, it takes the consequences for man's rebellion. 
and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, the world's dying down, and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation, natural world, has been groaning, we talked about that last week, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, even who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. I mentioned last week, there's two stages of adoption in the Roman world, one in infancy, the second when they come to adulthood. And this speaks of the, of the future adoption when there'll be a huge celestial celebration when we're in the presence of God forever. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is a rich text, but I want us to focus on, on just one statement out of verse 15. It says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. This text has lots to say about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us, and we learn a lot. First of all, here are five things we learn. First of all, it is basic. It's basic. It's basic to the Christian experience. It's basic to life's journey as a Christian. It is basic in our initial relationship with God. It is basic in our growth process toward maturity. It is to be woven into the fabric of every part of our lives. It's what holds all aspects together, the richness of this prayer by which, by, 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 by which we cry, Abba, Father, to our God in heaven. It's basic. We've learned in other studies that this word Abba is a Hebrew word uh, for dada, it's basic. When Diana and I were in Israel, we heard little children running after their dads going, Abba, 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 Abba. You know, Dada, Dada. When our, when our children are little, when they're born, when, our, when they're in infancy, we look forward to them saying, Mama, our Dada, and are so happy when Dada comes before Mama, for sure. We love, we love those first words. It's a great day when we hear those words, first words uttered. And every family has familial language. I know Justin, when he got old enough to talk, he called his maternal grandmother Mimi, and then his paternal grandmother Mimi. And we weren't expecting grandparents to be called that, but it became a term of endearment in our family. Maybe, maybe you have that term, or maybe you have Nana as your grandmother, or Papa as your grandfather, or Pops, or Gramps, or Grandfather, whatever it is. But these, these are terms of endearment that, that, that are basic in our relationship with God. I, I grew up with a hymn. Uh, as a boy that said, more about Jesus would I know? Because that's, that's what happens when we, raise, when we raise our children. When we are born again, we begin in this infancy stage. And we come out of the waters of, Baptist, uh, the baptistry cleansed. Jason's going to be baptized in a little bit. We're going to celebrate with him. And Jason, when you come out of the water, uh, the Holy Spirit of God's going to live in. Where is Jason? I've missed him. He's already back there? Boy, is he eager. Is he eager? All right. Jason, are you hearing this? All right. He's going to be baptized. He's going to be cleansed. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to come live in him. That's what happens to us 
when we are born again. And he's in infancy stage in his new birth. And you know, when, when a baby's born, so there's this, this dada stage. The sad, thing that, what, what, the sad thing that happens is that when we grow up, when our kids grow up, and when we grow up as kids, when we're little and, and small, we're growing as teenagers, we manipulate our parents, our grandparents, don't we? We learn how to manipulate to get what we want. And then if we've been raised well, if we have been good learners of our parents, we come full circle to adulthood. We come to adulthood and it's back to this basic relationship we have with our parents being thankful for who they are and no longer do we act childish, manipulating them to get what we want. And so it is in our relationship with God. There sometimes is that phase as we grow in our childishness and faith that we try to work hard to get God to give us what we really want. And if we stay true, we keep learning and growing and are committed to discipleship for the long haul, we grow and mature beyond that full circle till finally we know it's God. He's who we need. He's who we hunger for. And we are ready to accept whatever he has for us. When he doesn't answer prayers the way we want him to, we accept that because we have learned he's this perfect father who deals with us so well. Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites who pray to be seen, but go into your closet. He's teaching us about the fact if you only pray in public, if you only pray when you're expected to pray, if you only pray because you're supposed to pray, that's hypocritical praying. What is demonstrated in a public way ought to only be a reflection of what we're praying in the privacy of our lives as well. We need to pray both ways, privately and aloud in public as well. The Holy Spirit creates in us a longing for more of God himself. Second prayer is real. By him, we cry. We live in a culture of false fronts, of facades. It is difficult to learn authenticity. It's difficult to learn who we can trust if we're going to be genuine and forthright about our lives. It's difficult to break down. You know, I meet with people sometimes and they're very hesitant to tell me what they really want to lay out before me. And sometimes I have to interrupt them and say, look, whatever you want to say, you don't have to tell me anything. But if you want to say anything, whatever you have to say, I'm not going to think less of you for it. We'll work through this together. We'll pray through it together. You know, we're, we're, we, we are so afraid that if we're fully known, we certainly won't be accepted. And that is not true in our cries of the heart before our Father in heaven and even in the Christian community with one another. Our church ought to increasingly be a place where it is safe to confess whatever you have to confess and you're going to be loved no matter what. No matter what. When some of you hugged my son and said to him, we don't care if you're guilty or not, we just love you, I tell you, it crushed my heart inside in a good way. I learned something about grace and mercy from some of you, and he did as well, our family did as well, and we learned that by the Spirit of God in us as well. Arthur Rubinstein, great concert pianist, once said, once said you cannot play the piano unless you are singing within you. And I think what he's trying to teach is the integrity between the inner life and the outer life. That what I'm wrestling with on the inside, I have to make known to God. I have to cry to him um, because he already knows what's in us anyway. He knows what we're dealing with. He knows all of our baggage. He knows our scars. He knows how we've messed up. 
And yet, Satan is called an accuser. And he loves to accuse us and attack us to make us think that we are not worthy of God's love in our lives. So, I, so I, I value, I value people I meet who are not afraid to tell me their story. This, this, and I hope, I hope you have somebody. Now, you can't do that with a huge crowd, typically. But there ought to be somebody in your life, in your Christian walk, some brother or sister in Christ that you can, that, that you can speak honestly with. And know you're going to be loved and valued. That's a little picture of God's embrace of you as you cry out, as we cry out to him, our hurts and our wounds too. Because this world, because of Satan's doing, he he teaches us a fraudulent life. He teaches us how to put on a face. That if you're real with yourself and with other people, you're, you're going to ruin yourself. That's not true in God's family. This is the place we get to become as real as we've ever been in our lives and yet still be embraced. That's what the grace of God is all about. Because the other things in this world, the facades, they're fake. They're not real, even death. You know, you read humanists. You read a typical uh, psychologist uh, textbook today, and they'll teach that death is a natural thing. That is a facade. That there, there's nothing more unnatural to this world than death. God did not create this world for death. He created it for life. And so I'm giving you permission when you walk by my casket to say, he didn't look too good. (laughs) Don't you dare say, he looks so natural. Are you kidding me? I look there like I look standing up here. I better do some work. That's all I know. No, we, we, we live in a... Let, you know, let's, let's grow. Let's grow in being real in our prayers before God. By Him, by the Spirit of God, we are able to cry to our Father. Verse 26 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans. You know, when you, if, you're, if you're new to Christ or you're moving toward Him, don't believe, don't think that if you are born again, that the groans go away. Your groans will not go away. Sometimes the groans increase because the evil one likes to take you back as his own. And you'll wonder, why is this happening to me? It's because you've submitted to the Lordship of Christ. The Spirit then prompts us in our groans, our th- throbs, the throbs of our soul and our hearts to cry out to God. And through that journey... Through those cries, you can even either use those groans to make you larger in faith or to shrink your faith. You know, it, 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 you get to decide, I get to decide what we're going to do. Everything about life is really, we move from groan to groan. You get through the groan you're going through now, there'll probably be another one. That, that's just the nature of a fallen world. We entered this world with groans. You think of an infant being born, passing through the birth canal, that child enters the world with struggle. And if an infant, a newborn could reason, he'd come out of that womb saying, hey, turn the lights down. Why are you holding those scissors? Why are you wiping me so hard? I mean, there's all kinds of thoughts he would have through. And nothing seems sensible to an infant if he could reason. But everything there is for his good, right? Right? And so it is when we walk in a deep relationship with our Father in heaven. Fourth, prayer is intimate. It's intimate. By him we cry, Abba, Father. 
Now, there are a lot of terms by which we know God, a lot of ways we should address him in prayer. But in this context, in the groaning of life, we call him Abba, Father. It challenges us to remember our standing before God. Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, in the garden. Now, the term Father to the Jew was not a new term completely when Jesus' ministry began, but the term Father used for God is only there 10 times in the Old Testament. That's it. And never quite as intimately as when Jesus utters Father in his ministry, which he does hundreds of times. And throughout the New Testament, we have that term because, and Jesus was hated, of course, because of the relationship he claimed with his Father in heaven. Is it, when you say, you know, Father, it, 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 is, it is a picture of intimacy. You know, when, when you hold that newborn in your arm, and they don't react much, they, they get scared, you know, their, their limbs flail everywhere. But in time, what did they do? They, they stare at you. You know what that's like, don't you? You hold a baby, and all they do is stare. And then they, they pull your hair, <laughs> and they grab your collar, and they might grab the flesh on your neck. You know, they're gazing at you, trying to understand you, trying to see you, trying to register in their, in their, on the slates of their minds that are developing, what is this all about? You know, when David writes Psalm 27, he says, you know, one thing I seek, one thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And increasingly, that's what our life with Jesus is about, friends. We are learning to gaze, not at the world that so wants to sway us, but we gaze at who Jesus is. This is an intimate relationship we have with our Father in heaven. And when you are born again, you, you are not a hired hand. You are an heir with Jesus Christ. And he looks at you just like he does his son, Jesus. That is an amazing relationship that's formed. Fourth, prayer is experienced. By him we cry, Abba, Father, verses 15 and 16 again, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's capital S, testifies with our human spirit, we are God's children. He's convincing us that we really are in a relationship with our Father in heaven because there's sometimes our faith gets wobbly and we wonder, in spite of what I said, in spite of what I did, in spite of what I thought, in spite of, of my past, am I really okay? Am I really good with God? And the Spirit's ministry is to keep testifying to our human spirit, yes, you're my child. And so we have to move from this cognitive level to emotive level all the time. Because if you keep your faith right up here, which is important because this is an objective faith. We have evidence of Scripture and we make a decision. That's cognitive all right? The will's involved. But if it's only that and it doesn't trickle down to capture our hearts and to move us, sometimes when certain songs we're singing where the tears start or we, you feel like trembling or falling to your knees, if you never if you ever get to that place, maybe there's something missing in the, in the nerve ending from the brain to the heart. Because you can have a home and, and you can have love. I've had people tell me before, you know, I know my dad loved me, but he just never said I love you. He never, he wasn't a hugger, and I wish he had been. Uh, or my, my mom, you know, she just kind of, she was a great mom. She always provided for us, but, you know, she wasn't kind of a nurturing person. But you didn't doubt their love for you, right? 
There are lots of families like that. What we want to get to is knowing both. It's one thing to say to your kid when they're walking out of the door of school, hey, have a good day at school. I love you. Yeah, I love you, Mom. Go out. Love you, Dad. Whatever. But it's another thing sometimes when you're somewhere and unexpectedly you get this tight hug. Oh, I'm so glad you're my mom. I'm glad, I'm glad you're my dad. If you have those moments, you cherish them, don't you? Did anything change in your status of parent or child? Nothing. But there's something so grand and, and moving about that time, you never forget it. That's what God looks for in us, that kind of relationship with him where he, where he knows he sees it demonstrated in us, even though he knows our hearts. And finally, prayer is communal. It's communal. And by him, we pray. Many of you have told me throughout the years, you know, I just can't pray in public. I can't pray in a group, you know. It's interesting that you can pray privately, and that won't necessarily address praying communally with a group. But if you learn to pray in a group, it will always impact your private prayer. And so if you can't pray out loud in a group, let me just lay that challenge before you. Start by just praying out loud alone when nobody's around. Hear yourself pray. And then do it just with one person. Just one person. And just get used to, get accustomed to that with one person. Let them affirm you in that and get used to that. And little by little, let that grow so that whatever group are you in, it's, never, it's always a privilege to pray with another group of believers instead of a burden that you're trying to learn to do. All right? By him we cry, Abba, Father. What, what a relationship we get to have, right? I love Psalm 46, and Psalm 46 has two great commands. One is, behold the works of God. And be still and know that I am God. I love both those commands. Behold the works of God. And that we do every day when we get up. But there's no greater work he's ever done than by providing his son to die in our place that we may live. Behold that great work of God. And when we know him in such a way, we are able to be still knowing that he is God. No matter what groaning we're going through, we are able to be still. And all the more so as we're able to cry out by the Spirit of God, Abba, Father. Let's pray. How can we not but worship you today? We are drawn to you. You are our Abba. And I pray for a deeper intimacy in my own life that increasingly my my objective moves to subjective experience with you and that I will never, never want to be a person of facades but to be real before you and my brothers and sisters. So I thank you, Father, for the sweetness of this privilege, even today, that we can know you as our Father, all because of Jesus. Jesus.